This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Truths from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you are listening to episode number 19. Today we're talking Tyneman, tuned-in archery, weekday walkers, and how to stack the odds in your favor in the deer woods with Dan Bayus. So stay tuned. All right, welcome everybody to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. You are listening to episode number 19, and today we are joined by Dan Bayes of Tyneman fame and Tuned in Archery. I probably first heard of Dan from his uh, work with Tuned in Archery as a uh, as a guy who can really tune a bow. Um, I know that he's known nationally. People were shipping bows to him from all over the country to have him uh, tune their bows. Um, I think his craft uh, craftsmanship kind of speaks for, for itself in terms of folks flying their bows in from all over the country to have him specifically work on them. Um, he also w- does some work with the folks from Tyneman, which is a, 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 uh, a TV show. Of course, I've watched plenty of their, their videos o- online. Um, they also have uh, some, some interesting works coming up that they're going to be working with Carbon TV. So that is an awesome um, opportunity for, for, for Tyneman. And also, of course, gives uh, us the opportunity to kind of watch more of their episodes on in the uh, in the digital realm, which a lot of folks are kind of moving towards. So it's great to hear that. Um, also just a, a little piece of housekeeping here that I did create two YouTube videos that was based on the uh, public land scout that I did last weekend. Um, the YouTube videos are up and there's two blog posts that are associated with both of those. Uh, I did do some Facebook live feed stuff. So you may have seen some of that over the past uh, weekend uh, while I was scouting that public land. But if you haven't had a chance to check it out, you can head over to the truth from the stand.com site and uh, check out the blog post with the videos, or you can head directly to our YouTube page and uh, kind of tag along for a day of scouting with yours truly. 
And usually at this time, you know, is when we take a break to hear from our a word about our partners. Um, and of course, you know, one of our partners that we've been working with for a little while is, is Exodus Outdoor Gear. And those guys have been great. And so today we decided to do something just a little bit different. Um, and we thought we would give away a Exodus Lift uh, camera. Um, and all you have to do in order to win the camera is listen to this podcast today. And I will give directions at some point during the, the course of the podcast on the actions you would need to take in order to be in the running to win the uh, lift camera. So listen to the duration of this podcast. At some point, I will give you directions. It's not going to be something super complicated. It'll be pretty easy. Uh, but at some point, we'll we'll throw those directions in here. And then if you take that action, you'll be in the running to potentially win a new Exodus lift camera. So we'd like to thank the guys from Exodus for, for uh, helping us set that up. And uh, that's not it, actually. Uh, you know, right now, if you are, uh, if you go to the Exodus uh, website, uh, exodusoutdoorgear.com, and you head to the shop page and you are planning to purchase a camera. You put that camera in your shopping cart, you head to the checkout, and if you place the promo code TRUTH into the promo code slot at checkout, you will receive an additional 10% off of your Exodus Trail camera purchase. So the guys from Exodus hooking up, hooking us up, of course, hooking you guys up, the listeners, um, and it's really because you guys have been listening to the podcast, and it was just kind of a small way for us to say thank you back to you all for spending some time with us, listen to a couple of knucklehead, knuckleheads talking about deer hunting. <clears throat> and we truly do appreciate it. And this is just a small token of our appreciation that we can kind of give back to you guys. Um, and without further ado, I think we will go ahead and dial Dan in. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm Clint Campbell, and you're listening to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I am do- joined by Dan Bayes. Dan is a, is a fellow that I hooked up with here recently through some mutual friends of ours, uh, the, the, the fellows from Exodus. And uh, it's kind of funny the way I kind of came about to learn, I think, who, who Dan is. You know, it was I started following some of the YouTube videos that, that you uh, have out online. And uh, funny enough, we were Facebook friends or friends on social media. And I was also following this this uh, this woman online who was a hunter. And uh, I saw her kill a monster. And I was like, whoa, I was like, look at this huge deer this woman killed. And I started kind of investigating. I was like, hey, man, that last name sounds really familiar. And then I started doing a little bit of investigative work, and lo and behold, it was uh, it was your wife. So I just got to ask the question: Who has the uh, the biggest deer in the house this year? <laughs> she does, man. She kicked my butt on that one. Uh, <laughs> she got that buck in Ohio, and uh, you know, I actually I struck out in Ohio this year. It was a tough year for me, man. It, it, it honestly was probably what I'd say my worst year. But um, you know, with with her, you know, getting that buck in Ohio, man, it was it made for or an actually, you know, really good year. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped up about it. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, this, you struck out this year. She, she dropped a hammer and, uh, I, I spent my first yeah. year in Ohio this, uh, this November and, uh, I ended up tagging a nice 10 points. So I, I love Ohio. I have no problems with it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know what, there's, there's a lot of deer and, 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 you know, around every corner, man, you never know what's going to come out and, and, and it can be a giant and, you know, it's been great to me in years past, uh, but you know, I did, I, I managed to put an eight point down in Pennsylvania, um, during rifle season, I had some mishaps in PA as well, but between Ohio and PA, man, I got my, I got my butt whooped. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's uh, sometimes you eat the bear. Sometimes the bear eats you. This is just one of those years I was on, the, I was doing the eating cause most years I'm, uh, I'm the one getting ate up, but, uh, 
So it's it's kind of there's a bunch of, <laughs> there's a bunch of different things I want to you know talk to you about and jump into um, you know and we'll try to go through and get through most of them hopefully in a relatively timely timely manner. Um, but first, you know, for those of you or for those who are listening who maybe aren't as familiar with you as, as I am, could you just give us a little bit of background about yourself, how you started hunting, and you know what you do in the whitetail world professionally? Well, I, I started hunting um, when I was a kid. You know, I, I started probably what I'd say gun hunting um, for the most part when it when it comes to deer. And, you know, it was kind of a family tradition. Uh, you know, we all used to get together and, and for the first day of gun season and we'd have a big, you know, we'd call it the feed where everybody brings a bunch of food and, um, you know, get the whole family together. And we'd, we'd do deer drives, um, you know, and that was that was just the way that Gramps had us do it, man. And, and um, that's how I kind of got my start. And you know, I, I seen how proud it made him. Um, you know, I had an uncle and cousins I really looked up to that, you know, they're, they're big hunters as well. My whole family is, and, and, you know, to make them proud was kind of, you know, it's a, it was a driving force. And, and I think it just kind of all snowballed and, and, you know, I was very fortunate to be able to hunt some really good woods when I was younger. Um, my first bow buck was a Ohio 10 point. Um, and then the following year, I, I, followed up with a 14 point um and that 14 point was the very first deer that i actually set the stand myself you know and and I, it was all done you know on my own and and i took a lot of you know i was really really pumped up with that deer man i, I took a lot of pride in that and uh i seen that you know my uncle like i had told you and my cousin um my cousin spike and my uncle dave they uh you know, they came and helped me track the deer and, and that feeling of, you know, making them proud was kind of, you know what I mean? That's really what hooked me. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, it snowballed since then, you know, I mean, I, I've been fortunate, like I said, I, I've had some good land in Ohio to hunt, um, you know, my whole life pretty much. And, and, you know, in Pennsylvania, I've got a really good buddy, Steve, who owns a nice track of land and, and we've been managing it for quite some years now. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to hunt both states. It's really nice being close to the Ohio PA line. Um, so, you know, I can half hour, I'm, I'm in the other state, you know, so it works out really well. Yeah. That's not a bad, uh, that's not, but, a, that's not a bad location to have there, man, as far as, uh, being able to kind of hop back and forth between, between both <laughs> states, get a little bit of the best, the best of both worlds there. Yeah, you aren't kidding, man. And, and, you know, uh, Pennsylvania, you know, I got to give props to the game commission on this, the, the point restriction deal. Um, you know, I was one of them guys at the beginning. I said, ah, oh, man, that's, you know, that's going to really hurt the hunting, but you know, truth be told, I don't think anybody can, um, you know, tell you different, but the, the quality of the deer that are, you know, we're hunting now in Pennsylvania have really, you know, skyrocketed. And I'm, I'm telling you like, you know, the, we hunt, um, two F and it's, you know, it's a lot of state land up there. Um, it's a lot of big land, big open woods. Um, so, you know, that point restriction, I think up there has, has really, really, you know, worked, worked wonders up that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely, I can definitely attest to that growing up, you know, in Pennsylvania, I was, I was raised in PA and did all my hunting in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania up until, you know, up, up until I was probably in my twenties when I took a, took a trip with my dad. And I can, you know, mm-hmm. just remember back to the deer that I used to see when I was growing up. I mean, if you saw, 
if you saw anything that was a six point or better, I mean, you were, you were excited about it. You know, there was no, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing an eight point in the woods, you know, while I was hunting, like the entire time I was growing up. Um, you know, and, then yeah. you fat, and that's, and yeah. that's not even a line. I lived in a pretty like, you know, rural area, you know, nothing but agricultural land around us. And it was just, you know, everyone who hunted around you was, it was, it, if it's brown, it's down approach, you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, I think, yeah. I think not just the antler restrictions, but I think, you know, a lot of different, you know, entities, whether it's the QDMA association or whatever is really doing a good job mm-hmm. of just educating people on how to manage, manage their herds, manage the deer, you know, and treating it like a resource, you know, that it's, you know, you can't just, uh, slay, slay away and expect it to continue to replenish itself if you slay away at a, at a high rate. But so it's, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, you're hunting both, both States and, you know, because you're from Ohio and here's, here's a guy from Ohio coming to Pennsylvania, which, you know, Pennsylvania has a pretty, big hunting heritage. But as you were kind of mentioning, it was like, it's not known for, you know, having great deer hunting per se, as far as the size of, of deer. Mm-hmm. So would you say, I mean, what's your, what's your encounter been so far out, out where you're at? Cause if I'm not mistaken, you're out more toward the Pittsburgh area, right? Western part of the state. Well, I, I am. Yes. I'm in, I'm in the Western part. I'm actually living in Erie, Pennsylvania now. And, um, that is close to Northeast Ohio. So, um, you know, I'm, what I would say is that, you know, the, the whitetails out this way are, I would say bigger bodied, you know, and, um, you know, they're, they're almost like Ohio deer because it is so close to the state line. Um, but you know, what I've noticed is when I hunt two F, which is, uh, what is that? Probably two and a half hours, um, East of here, you know, the, the size of them, I guess, rack size and body size, and, you know, it's less agriculture. And I think, you know, that's probably a direct reflection, um, you know, of of caliber quality of of the deer, you know? Um, but I, you know, this past year, um, I had some pretty dang good bucks on trail cameras on them Exodus cameras, man. We, you know, I had one that was actually a double main beam. Uh, he would have just been a stud if I would have, you know, been able to get on him, but, uh, he had broke his main beam, um, that had the double main beam. That's that side. He broke that off. And, um, it was right when a, another five-year-old had moved into the property and this deer, you know, in front of them cameras, man, I had him fighting deer after deer in the food plot. And, um, you know, it just was, weird. I'm, I'm pretty sure that would have been the buck that had, you know, <laughs> busted him up. Right. Um, you know, he's still alive. So I am, I'm hoping, you know, either myself or, you know, one of the guys we hunt with up there, you know, hopefully one of us can get on him. Nice. Yeah. I, I know that. And I, I did, I don't know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I had, I had seen, I think a, a couple of the pictures maybe that you posted on social and it, it, uh, there's definitely some moments of jealousy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well yeah you know what having them here's the deal man i you know having them on camera everybody gets up you know upset not upset but um you know all excited and and almost like a a hopeful like thinking oh man i'm definitely i'm gonna kill that deer there's nothing gonna stop me from killing them and i'm no different you know i i do i get i get it stuck in my head and there's nothing gonna stop me but you know at the end of the day man man upstairs is the one who has a final saying if he doesn't you know bless you and, and bring the animal underneath you then <laughs> you know and then you got to make the shot too yeah. i yeah. i had i had a pretty bad year with that from you know pennsylvania i 
that big five-year-old that I told you broke that buck off. He turned into my number one hit lister. And, um, you'll see this, uh, you know, on carbon TV when we, when we air time and you'll hear, you'll get the whole story on there and get to see it all, you know? Um, but that five-year-old buck did come underneath the stand. Um, and I had been at full draw three different times for over a minute, every single time. Well, I had my, you know, full draw back anchor point and I was almost, you know, I guess I didn't never brought my nose down to the string. Well, I had actually both eyes open. Um, and when that deer walked through that shooting lane, my pin was, Oh man, tendering. Perfect. Well, <laughs> you'll see in the video. I, I mean, I, I went right over top his back and <laughs> if I would have brought my nose down the string, I would have seen I was, you know, actually high, but yeah. you know, it just, it was a bad bad string of events man that's just you know sometimes how it goes yeah sometimes you sometimes you got it sometimes you don't this year was one of those years where you know speaking of making shots that the deer that i took in ohio it's like i i was telling the the guys i went out to ohio with whenever we got back to the it was public land and we had a camper that we pulled out and stayed at a campground and we got back to the camper and we were talking about you know how everything kind of came together and i told him i didn't even remember I didn't even remember going to full draw. I was like the first, the last thing I remember is like, I realized my bow was at full draw and I was, had my anchors and I, I stopped him in a, in a small window and I let the arrow fly and he was quartering hard toward me. And I just, I couldn't believe for one that that deer came in, you know, and, uh, and then two, I heard him crashing. And then when I went to recover him, it was, I mean, quartering hard to you. I mean, that's like the one shot, like, you know, most people just are kind of always a little wary of taking, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I do spend a yeah. fair, fair amount of time at the range and man, I planted that thing right behind his front shoulder, double lung. Like <laughs> I was like, I could try that shot. Probably. Book, huh? Yeah. I was like, I could probably try that shot a hundred times and not place it like that. Maybe more than once. You know, I was like, it was meant to be, that's right. That's right. But speaking of, uh, of meant to be, so you've been, so, you know, you moved the, you moved to Pennsylvania and that was obviously meant to be what brought you to PA was meant to be. Um, and, uh, right. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm just curious, you know, whenever you move to a different state, you know, and, and I know that you're not too awfully far from maybe where you're used to, used to hunting and so forth, but when you move to a different state, you know, things are a, a little bit different, right? So how do you start to figure out a new state or a new area, or even just, you know, talk about how you go about gaining access? Cause I mean, you're kind of, you know, brand new, maybe you don't know a ton of people and how do you go about starting to kind of, you know, lay the foundation for how you're going to hunt that, that particular area? Well, the aerial maps are hands down, you know, there's, there's no better tool I feel for scouting new land. Um, you know, I was fortunate when I had moved here. Um, my wife has a friend, uh, whose mother is a fellow teacher with her. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) Her son, her son actually, uh, so my wife's friend's son, um, he owns some farms. Well, he, you know, he's a farmer. And, um, so I had acquired some property this year and, and, you know, going to be hunting with him some and, and, you know, he seems to be really interested in, you know, food plots and, and by all means, I'm, I'm no guru, you know, there's plenty of guys who are a lot smarter than me with it. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, I'm kind of, I guess, known for locally or, or with the people, you know, that know me really well is, is consulting. Um, I, I seem to be able to pick out, you know, the right spots or how to manicure the land. To, you know, th- my, my theory is, you know, hunting is a game of probabilities. And if you can stack all the odds in your favor, 
then your you know probability of harvesting an animal is is you know farly or you know way way better so um you know one of the things that i do is i manicure the land and and you know i do a lot of hinge cutting to you know you'd be surprised at what a uh, fallen over tree will do to make an animal you know walk underneath your tree stand rather than you know 50 yards the other way or you know opening up you know a lane correct you know right underneath your tree stand it's 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 something that I like to do, um, and you know I, I go in with weed killer and and I make them trails, you know, and I'm doing that this time of year when there's snow on the ground, and you know obviously the ticks are terrible, you right. know, in the summer, so I don't want to be doing it then. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean I'm trimming lanes, and and you know when I'm not shooting or not trimming shooting lanes, I'm trimming the you know walking lanes, so I'm basically coaching the deer to do what I you know what I want them to do. Right. Yeah. That's one thing, you know, on our farm, we've, we've done some food plotting and stuff like that, a little bit of hinge cunning and stuff. And that's one thing that I've always kind of wanted to start to explore is trying to create those travel corridors for them. Um, you know, cause it seems, you know, some mm-hmm. of the guys I, I've listened to, you know, whether it's folks like Steve Bartilla and guys of that kind of nature, it's like, they're, they're doing a lot of that type of stuff. And I, one of my favorite kind of sayings that they use is they're building a smarter mousetrap. <laughs> and I was like, that's just, <laughs> you know, that's exactly what it is. You know, like if you think about it, you're just building yep. a very large mousetrap using land and the, the, the deer or the mice, and you're trying to just, you know, lead them into the, uh, the places you want them to be. But so when when yep. you get on a piece of land and you start doing your, you know, your, your manicuring and so forth, I'm, I'm assuming you start to use, you know, some different tools, like whether it's, you know, I'm assuming you, you, you're putting out game cameras. And of, of course, I've seen some of the pictures, you know, images you've taken with some of the cameras. Um, you know, how are you using your cameras to kind of really start to assess a property to know what's what's on it? And, you know, and how are you using that to set up your hunts? But before we hear what tools Dan likes to use to set up his hunts, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners at Whitetail Institute of North America. One of the tools I've been using the past few years has been putting in different types of food plots. And today, John Cooner explains a few things to consider when planning to put in food plots. Well, the, 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 this may sound funny, but the first thing is that it's fun. Because if, if it's not fun, you know, there's no point in doing it. But the, right. the second thing, really, seriously, is, is it's not hard. It, it just is a matter of just recognizing a few pieces of where you're trying to end up and uh, once you see those pieces, you just go, gosh, this is easy, and you just knock it out. There's really not much to it. Uh, one thing, you know, it's kind of stupid uh, to say this, you might think, but uh, the first thing is make sure you have deer in the area. I mean, if you, I know it sounds stupid. If you live and play at a plant in downtown, downtown Atlanta, food plots probably aren't going to help a lot. But uh, besides that, uh, I would look at uh, how big an area you think you could draw deer from. In other words, is your property landlocked, uh, you know, nothing, nothing uh, much around it, or do you have a national park you butt, butt up on? Look outside the borders of your property and see how much land you think you could draw deer from. Do um, you want to take the adjacent land into account? Uh, also, you want to look at uh, at what you already have available to plant. I've I've hunted the last twenty four years on seventy eight acres and have had great success. And you can do so much with small properties. Uh, just see how much land you have available to plant. If you don't have a very little, uh, you don't have a whole lot of land. Plant what you got. It's going to help. And that, my friends, is a Whitetail Institute food plot tip of the week. If you'd like to learn more about food plots or Whitetail Institute, visit them at whitetailinstitute.com. And now back to the show. 
Well, different times of the year, obviously. I mean, you know, I guess I would go about it differently. And, you know, on this new piece right now, um, the way that I'm doing that is, you know, you're not allowed to bait in Pennsylvania during the season, but uh, one of the most attractive things is to throw down some feed, you know. Mm -hmm. So it basically for inventory, I do it after season to kind of see, you know, what is there and then obviously let it dry up. But um, you know, we're going to be doing a lot of food plots on that new piece on the property that I already currently hunt in PA. I, I rely heavily in the Oak flats and also, you know, funnels that are, you know, you can, if you find a deer's A to B and that's, that's one of my biggest things I try to find when I'm hunting any property and it doesn't matter if it's one I've been hunting on or, or whatever, because different, you know, every other year, it the woods are different the uh, crops are different you know the maybe you don't have an acorn this crop this year you know so you gotta you, you know roll with the punches and um so my biggest thing is i'm I'm trying to find their a to b and, and their a being their bedding their b being their destination where they want to eat at um and i want to intersect them in between and um so you know if you if you're looking at say a aerial map one of the things I'll do is, is I'll say, well, you know, that's, I know cause I've walked that piece of property that that's thick bedding over at a, and, you know, look at the crop fields over here. So look at right in between here, if they want to go from A to B, a good place to, you know, set up is in this pinch point. So I'll set cameras there to, and, and kind of verify what my thoughts are. And then that's when I'll go ahead in and, you know, set a stand and actually hunt it when the time is right. right. So do you take, you know, I'm always interested to see, how guys approach these things differently. Are you relatively aggressive when it comes to comes to your sits or are you really kind of looking for your, you know, your most recent in intelligence or MRI that people call it to kind of make your ambushes? You know, I'm kind of curious how you approach that. You want to know the truth, man. I, I honestly, um, my hunting probably consists more of driving to the different properties and checking cameras than than actual sit time stand time mm -hmm. and uh, you know uh, it didn't work for me this year uh you know the greatest um but uh it has in years past you know and and um so you know i i i'm more am scouting than hunting and and when i do actually sit is generally you know i pay a lot of attention to the barometric pressure um moon phase I do, but it didn't seem to really have a direct correlation with the whitetails in Ohio this year for me whatsoever. In Pennsylvania, at the property that I hunt, um, you know, it was almost spot on all the way up through November. So, you know, I, that's that's kind of that's another tool I do use. Um, and then obviously the weather. You know, when when you have a weather front moving in, usually it means high pressure. Um, and any change in weather, you know, those deer, it, it's like a light switch. It sparks them. So, you know, generally early season, I'm not hunting unless, unless I have a deer that is 100% patterned and I feel confident that I'm going in there to kill him. Cause if I can't get him that first sit, then, you know, chances, uh, you know, I'm going in there for a reason. Well, I'm walking out of the woods after dark, right? Well, if he didn't come in, he's probably out there somewhere, on his way. you know, and, and then he's on to you. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and once, once they get you, man, it's, it, it gets harder, you know, it's almost, game, I don't want to say game over, but you know, if the conditions aren't right and it's not probable, you know, game of probabilities, once again, 
it's not probable that I'm going to make that harvest on that evening, then I'm not going whatsoever. Right. So do you, you know, whenever you are going in, you know, are you, are you a, a sit all day kind of guy or do you prefer just doing a morning hunt or an evening hunt? Well, that changes throughout the year too, man. I, you know, early season, I'm a evening guy. And the reason why is, you know, there's, I'm sure you see it on your cameras and, and even, you know, through hunting, um, you know, I don't boot deer when I'm walking in, in the evening or midday, I should say. Um, but I do when I'm walking in in the mornings and, you know, that's because it's, it's, probability that most uh, deer are feeding you know at when it, it, during the dark so when you're walking in there during the dark if you're booting deer it's it's basically you know letting them know hey there's there's pressure here there's humans in this area i'm gonna go move over to the neighbor's woods because he's not hunting right now and, and you know so i do i somewhat rely on other hunters um i noticed after the first week I have a lot of different deer that show up on some of my properties and, um, you know, I, I feel confident that it's, it's probably because they were booted off of another property and they found safe, a false sense of security on my property. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, to- it, it totally makes sense. And I, and I follow a similar yeah. you know, type of approach where the early, early season, I'm definitely on, on evenings, you know, it's mornings. It's just, it's so hard to beat them. Yeah. It's so hard to beat them back to bed. You know what I mean? To, to get into a stand before they're, mm-hmm. before they're headed back. Um, this year mm-hmm. I, I even subscribe to that morning and evening sits during the rut even. Um, and then when we made our trip mm-hmm. to Ohio, one of the buddies I went with, he was like, and he was right. He was like, look, he's like, you're going to get your, your most action or the best opportunity to kill, to, to kill something nice. He was like in midday. He's like, I promise you, you just stay in your stand. Yep. And uh, so this was one of the first stand times, down. you know, I, I decided, I was like, all right, you know, I'm just going to do all day sits. Went in and sure enough, you know, I had the two shoot opportunities I had at Nice Shooters, one which I got the job done, one I, I blew the opportunity was, you know, I, I killed my deer at 1.30, I think it was, you know, and the other one that I saw, I think he rolled through right around three o'clock, something like that. So mm-hmm. he was, he yeah. was dead on the money. So now I'm a, a, a sit all day guy during, during the rut. But you mentioned something there that I, and I've heard you talk about this before and wanted to, 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 to get you to kind of mention it here is you have a theory on, um, you know, the, the deer knowing the differences between weekends, weekdays and, 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 uh, midday movers. So could you, could you tell me a little bit about just yeah. kind of how you think about how deer are relating to the what's going on around them and, and being able to know what day of the week it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some people think I'm off my rocker for this one, but I'm, I'm confident in this, you know, that deer do know the difference between weekdays and weekends. Now here's my reasoning. Okay. When you're sitting, you put yourself out in a woods for 24 hours. I guarantee you that you're going to pick up on different noises or different, uh, you know, amounts of traffic going up and down the roads, maybe a bus stopping, you know, you can, it's, it's undeniable that when you hear those brakes, you know, uh, uh, sound off on a bus or, you know, a backup uh, alarm or, you know what I'm saying? So I really feel like those deer know when it's a weekday, they're hearing those things. And they also probably associate that with less pressure. Um, I've noticed when I hunt during the week, 
you know, I have a lot better encounters. I also can tell you right now that my cameras tell me the same thing, that there's more, I'm talking daylight movement. I, you know, a deer at nighttime is great because he's on the property, but it don't mean I can kill him. Right. If he's got daylight tendencies, that means that deer is killable. He's screwing up. I'm going to move in there and I want him. And, you know, I find that usually during the week is, you know, uh, I, I guess it, it's one of them, you know, we'll go back to probabilities here. Probabilities of a deer walking during the week, I feel, is a lot stronger than on a weekend because they correlate the weekends with pressure. Right. And there's also, you know, let's let's face it, there's scent in the woods. You know, there's neighbors out. There's different, you know, different things. And, and there are, you know, I would never, I'm not saying this in a uh, bad way or derogatory, um, but, you know, there's a lot of what people call weekend warriors, right? you know, um, where there's just, there's more pressure on the weekends. And then when, you know, you're looking at midday, um, if you, uh, if you were a mature deer, you know, five or six, seven year old buck, all right, those are the, you know, smartest of the smartest, the weariest of the, you're like a Sasquatch. You're not going to see, <laughs> you know, well, if your job, you know, if you're, if your entire life depended on not being seen by a human, you know, when, obviously nighttime, right, right, is is the most probable time that an animal is going to move to eat and to live, survive. Well, if he wants to get out and, and cruise for a doe or check his scrapes because that testosterone has got his mind doing some crazy things, generally that'll happen midday. Right. And that's why, you know, I, I, I kind of got off off the course when you asked me about, you know, how I, what times, you know, if I prefer morning or evenings and, and, you know, during say the last week of October through, you know, the third, fourth week of November, I'm a daybreak. I don't want to walk in in the dark. I like walking in when I can be, you know, knowledgeable about what's going on around me. You'd be surprised at how many times I'm walking into a stand and there's a, a buck bedded down with a doe, you know, 10 yards off the, you know, trail that I'd be taking or, you know, so on and so forth. Well, I like to be able to see what I'm doing. I can get in there quieter and I can do it knowledge, you know, with knowledge and, and see what's going on. So um, I generally wait until it's daylight. And there's times, you know, I'm not opposed to sleeping in during the rut sometimes, <laughs> you know, getting that extra hour of sleep. Because I want to make sure that I'm there for the midday. Well, I should say, you know, eight, nine, ten o'clock and on through the evening. And I feel like that's, you know, it's, it's served me well in the past and, and it did this year too, actually. You know, I, I had my opportunities, man. I, I, I didn't make good on them and, and, you know, I ate tag soup in Ohio and, um, I, I did take, you know, I'm fortunate. I took a nice one in PA, but, uh, that was a midday buck. I, I killed him midday. Yeah, it's uh, that's interesting because you know, I would like to get an extra hour of sleep too. So I, I may have to I may have to follow up on your <laughs> on your theory for for no other reason. Well, than boy, when you're out there, you know, hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at Midway USA. We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, 
Check out MidwayUSA.com. You go on the rut tour, man, and, and you're, you know, say you take a week or two off of work for most cases for guys, you know, you do that every single day, waking up at, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning to get out there. Boy, by the third, fourth day, you're, you're sitting in that stand ready to pass out and, you know, fall out. Thank goodness you got your, you know, harness on some of the times, but yeah. you know, that extra hour will do you wonders, man, to keep you, you know, and keep your enthusiasm up too, man. Yeah, you, ain't, you ain't kidding, man. It's a, uh... Not this past year, but last year, you know, I usually take off, you know, 10 days or so for, for the rut, you know, and, and do a nice rut hunt sometime there in November, usually the second week, you yeah. know, or part of the first and, you know, all the second, at least here in PA. And if I'm going to Ohio, it's, I, I switch it up a little bit. But, you know, last year I did that and I didn't kill. I mean, I didn't I didn't get a, an opportunity to even draw my bow back on a, on a shooter buck. I had a doe tag. And so the last yeah. day at like. I don't even know. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. I, I took a doe, but I hunted every day from, you know, up at four thirty till dark every day for those 10 days or whatever it was. And man, and that was, that was a grind for sure. And then this year I just kind of lucked out. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was the, it was the third day and I was done in Ohio and the rest of the guys I was with still had tags. So I, I ended up hanging out in the camper for, for a couple of days while they were, up early hunting and had my coffee and it was uh nothing wrong with that's that. right man it was it was a nice life i was living pretty high on the hog but uh the uh <laughs> i i could I get used to it i guess is what I, is what i'm saying but it's funny that you mentioned the sounds in the woods because you're 100 percent right man when we were down at, you know i'm hunting down at our farm and i go down and i hunt a weekend it's you know all the neighbors there's chainsaws going there's people driving atvs the neighbors have their you know the guns out you yep. know doing a bunch of target practice and stuff like that and it's just you know, just all kinds of noises. And, and for sure, whenever I hunt during the week, always see better, better movement, you know, and it's, it's funny. You even mentioned the school mm-hmm. buses or buses screeching because my father-in-law, if he hunts behind his house, it's not close. I mean, he lives mm-hmm. out in the, in the country, but you know, the school bus goes by and he would call me. He'd say, yeah, I saw this bucket, you know, three fifteen because I could hear the school bus stop, you know, just up the road or whatever. And I know that it comes by the house. <laughs> yeah. So if he's picking up on that, just spending a couple of days out there, you know, the deer have picked up on that. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yep. I don't know that it, I don't know that a bus or anything like that would, you know, hurt deer movement. They're not, you know, hurt by the, the sound of it, but, but I, I think they associate that with, with, uh, you know, danger or more pressure. And that's, that's, that's at least what I've found. Right. So, you know, the one thing I know that you're, you know, to, to kind of shift gears here, the one thing I know that you're really, really known for, and it's probably how I kind of heard of you first which was for uh, tuned in archery and your ability to tune a bow. You know, it's like I heard your name related to that um, before I, you know, before we ever met or, you know, any of of that stuff. And before I knew that you were involved in in timing and so forth. Um, So, you know, I have some questions, you know, around bow tuning for no other reason, you know, that I think folks out there would want to learn a little bit about it. But I'm just really curious about it. Cause it's something that is, um, really foreign to me. Um, you know, that I, I've always wanted to work on my own bow, but I'm really, really scared to work on my own boat <laughs> to be quite honest. But, uh, so <laughs> yeah. if, if you could just give me a sense of what tuned in archery is and how you got into how, like what got you into bow tuning? Well, I, you know, I used to be a Matthews guy and, uh, I'd go and I'd buy the, you know, best bow they had and I, I did this i think three years in a row um 
and, and, you know, spent, I think 900 bucks on my first bow, you know, then the next year after that, I went and spent, you know, a thousand or, you know, whatever. Anyways, long story short, you know, I was, I, I didn't know why, you know, I'm buying the best bow out there. Why is it not shooting good? And, and I, you know, I didn't, ex- I couldn't accept that, you know, something's wrong with this bow. Well, you know, I come to find out after, you know, I did some studying and, um, I started watching, you know, some different, you know, YouTube videos or, um, you know, Google's Google searches and, and stuff of that sort. Um, and come to find out that, you know, if a bow is its rest is out of, you know, out of whack, then you're not going to be shooting good. Well, I come to find out that that bow was completely, you know, every one of those bows, and it was the bow tech, the guy who had sold me the bow, you know, he's a, there's a big difference between a bow salesman and a bow technician. Right. I'm a bow technician who sells bows. I'm not a bow salesman who puts together bows. You know, that's the, I got my start from, learning bows in and out um because you know, i became interested in it you know what i mean no different than the hunting stuff or anything you know, i i i i guess become somewhat infatuated with stuff so I, I i wanted to know you know how can i make this thing as good as it can be and when i started you know doing that and and seeing progress with the you know quality of my shooting I said, well, heck, man, this is, you know, this is kind of easy, man. I really, and I, yeah, I really enjoy this, you know? So then I started working on buddies bows and then, you know, their, their word gets around, you know, at work or whatever it might be. Hey, Dan tuned my bow, man. And he, man, I'm telling you, this thing shoots great now. Well, it kind of snowballed. So I said, well, you know, what? we better make this a actual legit business. Cause I'm starting to get people. I have no idea who they are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it turned into where, you know, I get both sent to me from all across the U S now. I mean, I shipped down to Texas, uh, Florida. You'd be surprised at how many guys from down South send me their bows. Um, and, and, you know, I, I take that as a, you know, the biggest compliment, man, when somebody, you know, has that much faith in me, you know, to send me a bow from, you know, across a few States or across the entire United States, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's very, I guess, uh, uh, rewarding when I, when that does happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, just like I said, that was kind of how I first heard of you was your, your ability to, to tune, to tune a bow. And that was kind of led me to kind of do a little bit more, you know, investigating. And I'm always interested with guys who, you know, are, um, I guess skilled with, with a bow in many ways, whether it's tuning or whether it's shooting or whatever, whatever the case might be, you know, just to kind of get mm-hmm. a sense is like, how do they, how do they pick out a bow or what are the things that they're looking for when they're, when they're choosing a bow? So, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, if Dan is going to buy a new bow, you know, what are some things that you would look for and that maybe other folks should kind of like pay attention to as they're shopping around? I'm a back wall and balance guy. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> you can pick up every bow on the market, say any, any manufacturer's top, top bow they got and and you know you will notice differences whether it be the vibration whether it be the draw cycle being you know very uh, a hard break on it um some have spongy back walls some have you know very strong very good back walls some are more quiet some you know are uh uh flamethrowers you know speed bows um and and some are what you know i what, for myself hunting i want a nice smooth draw i shoot a lot 
So I, I don't want to be, you know, ripping my arm off to get the bow back. And, and, you know, when those hard break cams usually stop on them draw stops, it usually creates a lot of noise. So when, you know, say it's a crisp morning, you're out there in the stand and it's the same bow that you were shooting at targets and you never noticed it. Well, when it's really quiet out there and you got a big deer underneath you, that's pretty key to his, you know, keen to his surroundings. You draw that bow back, boy, and he and he hears that draw stop. You know you're you're done. Yeah. So um, I I have I guess if if I'm looking at you know what kind of bow I I personally like, I would tell you you know a, a solid back wall and a balanced bow. Hmm. Is there is there a particular brand that you found that is just kind of has is giving you those things? Yeah, man. The you know prime. I shoot prime. Um, and their dual cam technology alone, all right, we're not going to talk about the new Synergy and everybody knows, you know, the, the centering technology and the balance in those. But before they even had the, the Synergy out, they had what's called the dual cams. Okay, so you put a bow at uh, full draw and it's it's got two points of uh, not not anchor, but. Uh, you know, stabilizing. So those bows I feel are when you're holding at a hundred yards. Okay. And you have both eyes open and you're trying to, what I call is a hone when I'm, I don't, I don't, you know, come down on a target. I don't come up on a target and I don't go across the target. I, I try and hone. So if I had a laser pointer on my um, stabilizer, you know, that laser would be on that target going in small circles and the tighter your hone is the more accurate you are um but anyways you know what what i find is that those primes i mean i can hold groups out at long distances man that that i i can't do as good with different other bows and i can i can shoot you know a lot of different bows um and and honestly you know some of them are are maybe better with uh draw cycle or some of them might be a little faster some of them might be quieter or you know more dead in the hand or but um when if i'm looking at you know what i personally like is the back wall balance um accuracy overall fit and finish and you know them primes really do the ticket for me Nice. And so have you ever shot, I'm just curious because when you, you know, you, you like the prime, uh, what they're kind of giving you and I, I've shot the primes mm-hmm. before, you know, last year I went and I shot a, a, a pile of bows and then this year at the outdoor show, I actually shot one of the gearhead bows and their draw cycle and back wall reminded me yeah. a lot of a prime. Have you ever shot one of those? Oh God. Yeah, man. I, I honestly, I love them little bows. I, I want one in the worst way for <laughs> when I'm blind on Yeah. It. <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be nice in a blind, oh. man. I mean, you know, when you're drawing that bow, um, you know, 33 axle to axle or 32, whatever it is you shoot, um, you know, you're worried about that top cam on the top or, you know, the bottom. I, I have bow holder. I mean, I've hit it off of that. It, but them little bows, man, are slick. Oh, man. I, I'm, and they're accurate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to pull a couple. I pulled back the, the 18 inch at the show and then I shot the, tool, mm-hmm. the 20 inch. And it's where I saw a great use just because they're so light. I'm getting ready to do a, an elk trip in September for a DIY backpack trip for two weeks in Montana. And I was like, nice, I nice. was like, man, how nice would it be to have one of those little bows? that's that light that I could take since I'm going to be doing so much hiking, literally will fit in your pack. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, grab it on your backpack. Yeah, man. Exactly. And, uh, but that, you know, I did find out that I think you can't have, you can't use anything shorter than a 20 inch 
in Montana, I think was the rule or something like that, which was fine because, I mean, that still would fit. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's what the one guy told me because I, I was talking to the, I don't know, he was, I think he was part of their marketing department or something like that. We were just kind of talking about because what I said was, I was like, man, this has a great use for anyone who Western hunts that has to do a lot of spot and stock or hiking or whatever. I was like, just because the miles you're going to put on, yeah. you know, it's like it's light. The other cool thing was that it flips back and forth. So you can either shoot it right or left handed. Like it doesn't have a molded hand grip. It's like that's yeah. it in. It's just, mm-hmm. it was wild, man. But so you were mentioning shooting. Yeah, they're smooth little boats. Yeah, they are for sure. The uh, You were mentioning shooting out to, a, you know, a range, a distance. So I, I was curious, how do you, how would you, if, if someone were coming to you saying, you know, Dan, I want to extend my range because I'm getting ready to say they're getting ready to do a Western hunt, right? And they've hunted whitetail all their life and they're used to shooting mm-hmm. 30, maybe 40 yards max. Um, what would be some tips you would give them to to help them extend their range to be able to shoot accurately out to that 50, 60, and maybe even that uh, 70 yard mark? Number one is, is obviously tune the bow. Um, if you talk with any Western hunter or anybody who does, you know, long range shooting, you know, they'll tell you if your bow's not tuned, you're not going to have uh, consistency. So, you know, first of all, obviously tune the bow consistency and, and reps, you know, you got to put the time in and, and build, you know, you'd be surprised. It's not really your back shoulder. It's your front shoulder holding that bow up, oh, yeah. you know, and tighten your hone. And, and, you know, those little stabilizer muscles, man, I can tell, you know, right now I, I honestly, I'm not shooting my bow at all. I'm shooting customers bows, you know, to tune them. Um, so I would, if I were to go step out, and try and take a long range shot, man, I'd probably be, you know, I'd have, I'd be all over the target kind of thing. And, and when I'm, when I'm doing, I guess when I'm shooting those long range shots effectively is when I'm, you know, I mean, I'm spending the evenings out there and, and, you know, really practicing it. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I hear that. So what, uh, speaking of, you know, practicing, what's your, when you are in it, in, in the, in the thick of it, what's your, uh, what's your practice regimen look like? Well, obviously, like you know, I, I am I work on a lot of bows, so I, I get I guess my reps from that. Um, and I do, you know, I probably shoot maybe three, four. Sometimes I shoot five or six times a week in the evenings. Um, you know, when it starts to get a little bit nicer outside, and and you know, it's not blazing hot, it's not freezing cold, you know, and it's it's bearable right. <laughs> and enjoyable. Yeah. You know, I it, I guess it it kind of just depends on what day of the week you catch me, man. You know, I I don't have a set regimen. I'm not like you know uh, uh, military. You know, I got to shoot this day, that day, whatever. You know, and, right? Um, but but uh, I do. It's in my mind that you know I need to need to make sure that I'm you know on my A game and and you know here's the deal, Clint is you know. <laughs> I, I shoot more than a lot of people I know. I don't, I don't really know too many that shoot more often than I do, but all those shots this year did not mean crap when <laughs> that buck walked underneath of me and I shot over top of his back. And, you know, dude, I went through, you know, moments of tears with it. Oh, yeah. Um, I had prepared myself for that moment all year long. I prepared myself mentally, physically. I prepared myself with the shot, you know, dude, it all fell apart. I, I got rattled at the last second. I didn't know he was going to walk across that shooting lane. It was take that shot right there then. And, and you know, I mean, just uh, 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 all the practice in the world, though, you know, can 
is is going to build your confidence and confidence is you know a very important role you know out out in the deer stand or at the range um so you know obviously build your confidence up and i guess prepare for anything <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i mean you, you no true words i don't think have ever been said about archery hunting than you just said right there which is the the confidence aspect of it and you get it in a bunch of different ways whether it's your preseason scouting and know that you're confident in the stand that you're putting yourself in a good spot. And then it ultimately it comes down to you, your confidence with your, um, you know, with your, with your, your weapon of, with your weapon of choice. And then even still, you know, there's always things that are out of your control that just happen that just don't go your way, you know, some days. Um, yeah. but I think one thing that yeah. would definitely, you know, kind of increase, you know, folks confidence being in, in a tree stand with, a, with a bow is having a tuned bow, you know? And so for me, it's when people talk about tuning bows, oh, yeah. it's like, I understand that it means to make it more, more accurate and, and shoot better and, and just, you know, very like basic, you know, elementary things. But, you know, what are, what exactly is being adjusted whenever you're tuning a bow? Well, see what, what a lot of people do is, is, you know, they'll either eye it or they'll use different things. Um, and, and honestly, I, I use lasers and levels to start. Um, that, there's no human error with a laser and there's no human error with a level. You know what I mean? They are as good as it gets. Right. So I, I start with that. Um, one thing that I do really, I, I, I've had amazing luck with is bare shaft tuning. I, and that's what I'll do is I'll, I'll pull the veins off of the arrow. Now to do that, you know, it's, it's a large, you know, it's a big concept, man. Um, every single bow has a different cam design, right? So some of them break harder than others. Some of them are smoother. Um, so different arrows with different spines will react differently off of a rest, right? So once that we're lined up with our rest, what I'll do is I will pull those veins off and I'll bear shaft tune the bow. Um, so what that is, what it you know bare shaft tuning entails is basically i have a you know a, a set way that i pick an arrow shaft for a specific bow or different ones that i'll pick for you know so and so's bow um then then i'll figure out the correct length that i need to be at and and generally you know I got that whole concept from um long bows and recurves when i started shooting long bows and recurves you know I wasn't sure what arrows do I want to buy for this or what tips, you know, right. I know some guys shoot 185 grain tips. Some guys shoot 125, you know why? Um, so that's how they tune recurves and longbows is, you know, the bare shaft tuning. So I said to myself, I'm like, you know, and like every one of these bows are, you know, and, and my reason that I had received from a, an older gentleman who, you know, big trad guy, um, he had said, well, you know, every one of these bows are different, you know, every single one of these bows are different and, um, you need to find a shaft that works for your, your bow, your specific, you know, bare bow. Um, and, and so I said to myself, well, you know, like every compound bow is different too. So why wouldn't that concept work with that? Does it hold true? So, you know, obviously me, you know, I'm not, I'm not the type to just think about something for too long without trying it, you know? Um, <laughs> and it's got me in trouble, man. But you know, um, that's, that's, that's how I got into the bare shaft tuning. And, and I found, you know, in research that there are other people that do, you know, 
do this as well. Um, I, I do, I paper tune sometimes, but you know, I I've done so much of the bare shaft tuning. It, it just seems like that is a, a more spot on way for me. And, um, it's quicker for me to bear shaft tune than paper tune. And I don't have to mess around with paper either. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked a little bit there for a second. You'd mentioned that every bow is different, right? And so you have to pick the right arrow for, for that particular bow because each one has a different characteristic so in the same kind of you know vein i guess you know every person is a little bit different when when shooting and if you had to pick i guess one thing that is the difference between an accurate shooter and someone who is not quite as accurate what do you what is one of those things that you see people that just constantly make someone inaccurate that is like one of the biggest watch outs for you know shooting a bow accurately 100 percent consistency that's not a, that's not, I feel, I feel very strongly about this, Clinton. Don't take this the wrong way, man. But, uh, I don't feel like that's an opinion. I feel like it's a fact that the most accurate shooters are the most consistent shooters. The, the people who are inaccurate are inconsistent. And when you can consistently think of yourself, like if you can mimic a machine as close as you can, okay. Every single time that you draw your bow, if you can do the same exact anchor points on the backside, and hold that bow true every single time on your mark, on your target, you're going to have the same results every single time. That's how guys smack arrows or, or Robin Hood arrows is they're just that consistent. And they have, you know, really honed their skills and they can hone that pin down on their target. You know, uh, consistency, man, definitely. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where... You know, I, I I consider myself a novice archer. You know, I'm a hunter. You know, it's I don't uh you know I, I spend a fair amount of time at the range. Um, I would never claim to be the the best shot at it ever. You know, by by any stretch of the imagination, I, I typically am pretty consistent. But this was one year this year, man, where it's like I'm not gonna lie. It's like I was just talking to a buddy of mine where you know I went back to the range here after late season ended and started messing with my anchor points because I just could not get comfortable with my bow all year. Didn't matter what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like my anchor points. They didn't feel comfortable, but I was hesitant to switch them up in the middle of the season because, you know, out the 30 and 40 yards, I was, you know, what you would call good enough to get the job done, you know, make an ethical kill. But it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. it sounds like you and I are a lot alike where it's like, I'm really particular about things. When I go to the range and I'm shooting at a target, it's, you know, I want to be able to put my groups, no matter what distance I'm shooting inside, you know, the, if it's, you know, within 30 yards, I want to be inside of a, a Pepsi can top, you know, it's like with, with all my arrows, right. if I'm out, if yeah. I'm out to, you know, 40 and 50 yards, it's like, then I'm talking more of like a coffee mug. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm willing to like loosen it up a right. get a little further out, but it's, uh, you know, so I'm pretty particular about it. And so I went back right after late season and started dialing it back in. Cause I was grabbing my anchor point and I was dropping the tip of my nose on the top of my string. And I just felt like I had to like move my neck. I felt like I just had too much head movement to try to get locked in. And so at the end of the season, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start pulling my kisser all the way into the corner of my mouth and let that be my anchor point and just lay my nose on the side of the string and let it be where it's at. And if I have to adjust my sight left or right to compensate for it, then at least I'll have my my anchor point exactly the same every time. Right. Man, I went to the yeah. range. I flung a couple down 30 right next to one another. 
40 right next to one another out the 50 yeah. hit bullseye <laughs> put three right on top of each other i was like you got to be kidding me that was all it took yep. was just changing that one anchor point you know what i mean it just changed up everything and i was yeah comfortable yeah i was comfortable now what i have to get a little bit used to is i, I shoot a matthews halon which is a pretty aggressive bow um you know so it's like i had to get mm-hmm. used to just you know i was a little bit um further back i guess in my in my draw you know and so it's like i was needing having to get used to uh not letting the bow creep on me essentially. Um, you know, cause I was just, I got, gotcha. yeah. yeah. So that was the one thing I'm kind of working out now is just ch- kind of trying to lock in and making sure I'm keeping my, my back tight. And, uh, you know, before I release the, before I release the arrow, um, and I use a, an aggressive bow. Well, let me ask. Sure. Yeah. Let me ask you a question now. Um, so, so how do you determine your draw length? Is it just something that somebody had told you at one time as your draw length and, and you stick with that, stuck with that? Or, or um, do you have a method that you like to use to find a draw? Length? So at first, you know, I, I, I looked, you know, I looked up online just kind of how I would figure out my, what my draw length was and fig- figured it out. And then when I bought my bow mm-hmm. initially, I went in and they measured me. I'm 26 and a half inches. Okay. Um, and then uh, I, got I actually took it to a buddy of mine who, um, He's from my hometown. He used to shoot competitively and he has a, has a pro shop there in our hometown. And I took it to him just cause I wanted to mm-hmm. be sure, um, that I was, you know, where right. I needed to be. And he measured me and he confirmed where I was, where I needed to be. So I did do a couple of checks cause I was good, a little, good. I was a little, a little wary. I mean, is that something that you <laughs> see people kind of well, fudging a little bit? Yeah, bad bad man and that's you know the uh, reason i asked is is you know if you can't hit your anchor points consistently you know that, that's generally it's it's because of the uh draw length being too long and, and if you know that's a that's the best starting point to get someone shooting better is to get their draw length corrected man but if you're already you know with that then you're you're kosher man you're good to go Yeah, i think it's just <laughs> a little bit more time at the range to get used to the new new anchor point but i was tickled man when i came home that, that day that day from the range i came home i told my wife i was like yep. i shot like i've never <laughs> shot before i was like i didn't even want to go to sleep i just wanted to go back to the range and shoot all night but so I know, yeah. I know we've been talking for a little while and I definitely want to get to this, this last section here that I want to kind of touch on. And that is your involvement, uh, you know, with, with Tyneman. um, you know, cause I'm always curious how folks get started filming hunts and in, in, in that realm, because I'll be honest with you, man, it's like, I started filming my hunts two years ago and it is one of the toughest things that mm-hmm. I've ever added to my hunting regimen yeah. <laughs> ever in my entire life. I mean, I enjoyed doing it, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. man, it is, uh, mm-hmm. there's some days when I'm lugging that, the gear into the tree and it's, you know, I didn't get any action. I didn't get any footage. Yeah. I'm like, why'd I carry all this extra stuff for, you know? So how did you get started with the, with the filming, uh, with the filming aspect in, in, in time and overall? Well, it was, I, I started it, you know, just kind of more want another challenge kind of deal. Um, by all means, you know, I, I've never shot no 200 inch deer. I've never shot what I'd consider, you know, an absolute monster, but, um, I was, I was doing pretty well there where I was, you know, shooting some better Pope and young bucks, you know, every year. And I said, well, you know what, man, let's, let's, you know, that's what life is about in my eyes is, is getting better and, and challenging yourself. Um, and, and hunting is no different to me. I, so, you know, I guess the year I started filming, I had bought a pretty nice camera, um, and, and said, well, you know what, let's go out there give this a try. And, um, I actually had, he's probably like a mid one forties, really nice buck um, come right underneath my stand. And, uh, well, you know, let's rewind. I'm sorry. 
I had missed a big eight point um, on film. Um, oh, man. And it was, you know, it was not a bad, it was not a far off shot either, man. It just was, I was, I was messing with the camera and I got all, you know, flustered. I was like shaking and sweating, you know, and, <laughs> and I missed that deer. Um, then it was like, you know, probably what, four nights later, man, I had a, a that, you know, 145-ish buck come underneath me. Um, I'm talking five yards and, uh, if you go on my Facebook page, you'll see that deer. Um, he's it's the one with the real green food plot in the background. You know that he's on right underneath of me. That deer is five yards underneath of me. I never got my bow up because I was had both hands on the camera, <laughs> thinking you know, oh, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna get this deer on film, beautiful film, and I'm gonna you know put an arrow in him. It's gonna be an awesome hunting show. That's not how it went at all, boy. He <laughs> he he just did it. You know he got that close and didn't like it. But uh, so yeah, I. You know, I got started, you know, kind of just messing around with it, tinkering around with it. Um, and uh, then, you know, I guess I, I wanted to promote my bow shop somewhat. And I figured, well, heck, man, you know, there's no better way to promote it um, indirectly. You know, I'm I'm not one of them type of people when, when I watch a hunting show or, you know, I, I, I can't stand with some, oh, you have to shoot this bow and, and hunt out of this tree stand or you're not going to be able to kill deer. Well, right. come on now, give me a break. Right. Um, plenty of, plenty and, of guys been you know, out, so, of the, out of wooden stands and trees for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, I was, I, I was like, well, you know what, man, we'll, we'll just do some hunting shows and, and, uh, you know, we'll, you know, promote the bow shop that way. Um, so that was, you know, tuned in archery is what we, you know, we were just team tuned in. Um, and that was, God, I think five or six years ago now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it seems like every year we have, uh, you know, progressed. Um, we did pursuit channel. What is that? Three years, three or four years ago now. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, do some work with hunt channel last year we did. And, you know, this year we're, we sound an exclusive with carbon TV. It seems like, you know, um, social media and, and, you know, the digital network is where our main, you know, fan base is and where, you know, our most viewers are. So we're going to keep it there. Um, you know, we don't really have any, any want or need to go to any major network either. Right. So, um, it works out real nice, you know, for, for the marketing aspect of the bow shop. And then I also own hang on helper. Um, it's a product that I had invented and, you know, um, manufacture. So, you know, we, it's basically what timing is, is it's a marketing platform man. and, and all of us, you know, own a company and, and we just want to, you know, brand awareness, a lot of people to know what it is we're doing. And it's pretty amazing how many people are actually interested in it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, I've watched, you know, plenty of the, of the videos and, and, um, I really like what you're doing just from the perspective that it's honest hunting, you know, it's, it, and you can tell that, uh, from, yeah. from the footage and the, in the approach and just the, the emotion that you see in, in your, you know, in one of the videos, particularly I'm talking about in your face, whenever you, you took a pretty nice, uh, a pretty nice toad, um, you know, and all that stuff is just, yeah. it's, it's genuine, you know, and I think that that's the, the part that you're probably, that people are really kind of gravitating toward. And you're right. You know, there's a lot of folks who are kind of gravitating more toward that, uh, the digital media space for, for video. Um, cause that's where people want to consume it. So why not give it to them where they, where they want to be? And I'm, I gotta be honest, man, selfishly, I'm, I'm excited that yeah. you're going to be on carbon TV. Cause every Sunday morning for me, after I get up in the morning and make breakfast for my daughter and then I, 
I usually throw some carbon TV on the iPad while I sit and have my coffee. And that's usually my Sunday morning ritual is uh, to watch some hunting shows. Right on. And it drives my wife crazy because yeah. the, the whisper talking drives her nuts. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, man. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I, hear, I hear about that all the time, man. You know, I, th- I honestly, Clint, you know why I think people seem to like our our show, you know, with Mike Timon is, is – you know, people can relate to it. We're real, real world people hunting real world. You know, that buck I killed that giant on, guess how many acres that was? Four acres wow. um, that I had access to. And believe me, I was out there, you know, there was times, you know, I'd see the neighbor over on his property hunting, um, you know, and, and some of these deer are getting killed on state game lands, um, you know, but the the thing that people really like about it is it's all DIY. We don't, you know, we don't go hunt outfitters. Um, every one of these deer, we patterned, we did the work, we, you know, planted the food plots. We're the ones who, you know, I, I don't want to take, you know, full credit because that's why I believe, you know, I had some of the bad fortune I did this year is because I wasn't giving credit to the, you know, man upstairs who should have the credit. Right. Um, but, but, you know, he enables us to do these things and, and we, you know, take, take advantage of that. And, um, you know, we, we do the work that's needed to get them deer on the ground, man. And, and, you know, that's, that's what people can relate to. I think, you know, people are kind of the, the, the large majority of viewers that are watching hunting shows on, you know, Thursday nights, Friday night or whatever it might be. I don't even know. I don't even own TV anymore. Right. (laughs) You know, those, those viewers, the large majority of them, man, they're not hunting 600 acre, you know, farms in Iowa. They're, they're hunting, you know, state game lands in, uh, you know, Ohio or, or they're hunting, you know, Missouri small farm, like small properties, you know, behind their house or something kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, we're no different. We're doing those same things, man. Right. Yeah. I hear you, man. It's, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to, to an extent where, you know, the farm we have back in back home, it's you know roughly 240 acres. So that's, you know, a nice chunk of ground that we can manicure and do some stuff, nice. with, you know, which is, which is great. You know, I'm uh, fortunate to have that type of opportunity. And I spend a lot of my time on, on public ground anymore. Um, you know, I, I like the challenge of kind of going out and seeing what's around the next corner. And, um, you know, I appreciate the, the, mm-hmm. the adventure. Um, you know, my buck I got in Ohio this year was on, on public ground. Uh, I did a hunt with, uh, you know, my, my friend Phil, who's usually the co-host on, on the, on the podcast here that couldn't make it today. Um, but he's got a couple acres behind his mm. parents' house that, uh, um, that we hunted this year and I had a great encounter with an eight point back there. And I, I want to say it, it, it might be five acres. It, if it's 10, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's pushing 10, uh, and we had a great encounter. Right, I saw some right. deer and it was, you know, he's got a good little spot back there with some, some bedding, some cover and a little spot that we, I think we're going to put a food plot in this year, but you're right, man. That's the way a lot of people are hunting nowadays. And it's just, you know, and when they see people out there doing that and given, uh, I think proper respect to that type of hunting, um, yeah, I think it goes a long way with people I guess is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And I think, you know, your show does a, a good job of doing that and, uh, you know, appreciate you taking that approach. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, man, I know I've kept you on here for a little bit more than an hour now, and I want to be sensitive to your time. So I, before I let you go, the last thing I want to ask you is just I want you to take us on a hunt with you and give me your most memorable hunt. It doesn't have to be a harvest. It could be a miss or just like an experience and you know that you had in the, in the timber. But give us every detail. Tell me what state you're hunting in and uh, give me the story all the way back to the tailgate of the truck. <laughs> well, Clint, I'll take you – I'll take you – to a hunt in Ohio, um, this year with my wife, Stacy. Um, she's 
we just got married this year. Um, you know, we, we had met through hunting and, um, she's been the best thing that's ever happened to me, um, in, in many, many different ways. But, um, so, you know, I, I pretty much gave her all early season. If there was a deer that we could get on, then it was hers. Um, because I know her time was limited. Um, so I actually had her hunting a buck that I, I, I don't know if he was 185, 195, but he was a stud. Um, and he actually, he, he was daylight walking. We tried getting her on him. Um, and she has an itchy trigger finger. She ended up shooting a doe in Ohio the evening that we went in there for him. And had she not, I, I really question, you know, if he would have, would have, you know, came in and, and presented her with a shot. Um, cause he was the next morning and the next evening right. he was on camera during daylight. Um, but so, um, anyways, we never ended up getting on that buck, but we had went to what I would consider my old faithful. Um, it's a swamp and, and it's been known for some really good deer coming through there. Um, there happened to be a really nice 10 point that was showing up on the Exodus. And I said, well, you know what, hon, let's go in there. Let's see if we can't get on him. Um, he's not been daylight walking at all, but he had daylight tendencies last year. Um, he put on probably, you know, 10 to 15 inches. He didn't do a whole lot from last year, you know, as far as size, size wise, but, um, you know, he was a good deer. So I told her, you know, that's a deer we're going in after. So sure enough, man, we went in there and, and we didn't get on him the first day or the first evening. So we went back out the next morning. This was, uh, late October. I believe she took that buck, but it was, you know, getting close to when the rut was coming around. Um, and we had a weather front that was moving in and I told her, you know, we have to hunt before the weather front during the weather front and after, well, we were sitting out there in the morning and boy, that rain came and it was nasty, (laughs) windy. Well, so we jumped out of the tree and, um, you know, we went, I think got a bite to eat and, uh, took a nap in Walmart's parking lot, man. (laughs) Um, and I told her, you know, it looks like the rain's rain starting to, you know, let off a little bit. The wind's dying down. We need to get our butts out there. The second that this wind, this rain and the weather stops, I guarantee you, you know, it's going to heat up and, and things are going to light up. So, you know, we, we got out and got in a tree stand and not 15 minutes after that, she's turned around freaking out Damn, big buck, big buck just stood up and, you know, he's coming out of the bedding area and, and this will be airing on time. And, um, you know, but, but boy, you want to talk about excitement, man. He, he put on a show for us. I got him coming across that field the whole way. Um, and he came back behind us directly downwind when she shot that deer, he had just like crossed our wind. And, you know, if she wouldn't have shot when she did, I don't honestly know one way or another, whether we would have got him, but, um, she had hit him a little bit high. So we were, you know, we were like, Oh no, you know, I hope he's, I hope he's down. Cause we didn't hear or see him go down. So, uh, you know, we get across the, uh, he ran up over a set of train tracks and, um, went onto the next property over. So we got down in there and we ended up, we, we, she walked past him and I had seen him, you know, and, and, um, when she turned around and saw him laying there, man, that, that, that emotion that she, you know, gave and, and how appreciative she was, you know, and, and that, that right there, honestly, is 
hands down my best hunting memory I've ever had. And I, you know, I don't know that it's going to take a lot to top that. Wow, man. Like I'm sitting here literally just got a, got cold chills. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just, <laughs> just listening to, I mean, cause it's, it's that, you know, when you mentioned the emotion, man, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. There's something about it. I can't put my finger on it. I, and to be honest with you, I don't, I don't, I don't no, care that boy. I ever do. I just hope, I, I hope I always feel like this. About we need to it. learn to bottle. I know. Right. <laughs> That's, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. That's what keeps us going. That's right. But Hey man, I just want to say thanks for, uh, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure having you on and, uh, um, I, I appreciate you. Yeah, having I, me. Uh, absolutely, man. And I hope we, uh, hope we get to catch up again soon. Definitely brother. Good talking to you. Have a good one. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. Just like to thank Dan for coming on. Uh, you can, of course, find more information about Tuned In Archery, Tyneman, and all the things that Dan has going on at his website at tunedinarchery.com. Also, be sure to give him a follow on uh, his social media platforms. I'll be sure to put all the links uh, to his social media platforms and his website in the blog post show notes. Also, want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in. If you like what you're hearing, uh, feel free to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, and you can also listen to us on Google Play. And if you would be so kind, please leave us a five-star iTunes rating. We'd be very appreciative of that. We also need to be sure to thank our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear, Whitetail Institute of North America, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And now, I know that I've waited this long, I will go ahead and give out the directions for how you can win an, a free Exodus uh, trail camera. So it's really simple. You really only need to do three things in order to be in the running for the Exodus trail camera. And that is, you need to, if you haven't already, you need to go to the Truth From The Stand Facebook page and like the page. The second thing you need to do is like the blog or like the Facebook post for this specific podcast. And the last thing you need to do is share the Facebook post for this specific podcast. You do those three things and you will be in the running for uh, winning an Exodus Lift trail camera. And we, of course, will announce the winner in podcast number 20. So good luck to everybody out there. Thanks for tuning in and we will see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace microdosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.